So this morning, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy in the second chapter, specifically uh, verse 14. But just so we can have a background about what the, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit was giving to the Apostle Paul when he wrote First and Second uh, Timothy. What we need to understand is when he wrote First Timothy, that was him writing again and reconfirming the established truth about church order and how to function as a local assembly. That's what First Timothy gives to us. How to function in proper order in a specific local assembly that God has chosen and placed us in. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is how to still function as individuals in a local assembly in the midst of disorder. That's where we are right now in our country. We are in the midst, based upon prophecy and the fulfillment of it, we are in the midst of disorder because that's how Satan establishes and really, in one sense, runs his whole worldly order. His whole worldly order. So, again, when we see that, when we see it, we can read it again, and let's read in Second Timothy two. Second Timothy two, uh, and I, and what I'll do is is I will start in verse ten. Verse ten of Second Timothy chapter two says, "Therefore, endure, I endure all things for the elect's sake." So Paul is saying, and he's speaking to a young pastor. So the context of this, in Isagogics, studying the word and its historical frame of reference, what we see is the Apostle Paul speaking to a very young pastor and telling him that you're pastoring in the midst of a time where there's complete disorder, but you're to teach individuals that are in a local assembly how to function properly. And so that's where he said, therefore I endure all things for those that, the elect's sake. The elect's sake are all those that are in Christ. Every believer who is in Christ. The apostle said, I'm enduring all this opposition and all these things that come against me. That's what the apostle Paul was saying. And then he was saying, you as a young pastor, you're going to experience the same thing. You're going to experience all these things coming against you. Not only you as a person and as an individual, but you that God would, that has chosen and gifted to speak to others. You're going to, you're going to be a target of the enemy. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain, you know what it, here it says, the salvation. The salvation is not just the day they were born again. It's their whole Christian life. Because a Christian life is to be one continual experiential deliverance based upon the fact that we have been delivered by Christ and through Christ in our position. Now we're to experience it, but then all the opposition now from the enemy will come against that. Verse 11, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, and we are, 
We spiritually died with him on when he we received him as our Savior on Calvary. We will also live with him, and we have this life with him. If we suffer, we will also reign with him. Now, if we're going to live with him, it says in 2 Timothy 2.11, if we're going to experience his life, then there's going to be suffering based upon that life, that opposition from the world. And you, you can get opposition. You'll get opposition from the Satan using the unsaved. You will get opposition through Satan using carnal Christians. They're born again, but they're carnal. They've gone back to the world system. And he'll use those to oppose and to uh, bring in all kinds of confusion. But that's why he said, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, and we are, if and we are, we're born again, we will also experience the life that is him. If we suffer, and we'll suffer again because of that life, we will also reign with him. So there's no reigning without suffering. We're on our way in time to reign with him for all eternity. But f- and that reigning speaks of a glory, an eternal glory. Based upon Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in us, the hope, the guarantee of a, a glorious eternity. But for now, for a little while, for a little while, just for a little while. And that's what 2 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 4, 16 and 17 and 18 bring out very, very clearly. For a little while, we're going to suffer because we have this life that the enemy hates in the midst of his world system. He hates it. But if we suffer with him, we're going to reign. And we can reign with him even now. We can reign with him even now. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, what that is speaking of, some, again, over decades have used this to teach that you can lose your salvation. This has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with reigning experientially with him. So if we deny him, his word, if we deny uh, the truth of the word, if we deny certain teachings in the word of God, if we deny them, if we deny Christ, if we deny the local assembly, if if we deny him, he will also deny us, meaning even though he loves us, because we deny him and live in sin, he can't fellowship with us. And that's why it's very important, very important for Christians, Christians that are living in the life, have confessed up to date in 1 John 1, 9, but are living in the light of the life that's theirs to be careful who they fellowship with, very careful who they fellowship with, because you can't mix fellowship with those that live in known sin. You can't do it. And furthermore, the scriptures say that we should not do it. It's brought out clearly. Even in Romans, the 16th chapter, in the 7th verse, we're not to be with them that walk disorderly. We're not. Now, if we believe, in verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He can't deny himself, meaning he won't deny the love that he loves us with by positioning us in his son. He's not going to deny that. He loves us. And he can't deny the fact that he loves us. But will we? 
through disobedience? Will we through neglect? Will we through putting everything first other than Christ? Again, in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, first. First and foremost. Then all these other things will be added unto you. Now, in verse 14, this is what it says. Of these things, put them in remembrance. God, how often do we need to be reminded of these things? How often? How quickly is it that we can forget God? Of these things, young Pastor Timothy, put them in remembrance. And when you do, if you remember them in yourself, experientially, you're going to suffer persecution. Because in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus, in other words, all that experience the reality of who they are in Christ, with Christ in them, and them in Christ, will suffer persecution. We never have to ask why. If we're going forward with the truth, then we suffer things. The answer is we're being persecuted because we're living right. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they, all those that receive this teaching, strive not about words to no profit. What would that be? Trying to have fellowship with another believer who, who is living like the unsaved. There will be striving about that. If there's not oneness, and that doesn't, it doesn't even have to be verbal. It can be nonverbal. It's just, it's an atmosphere, and you experience it. To not strive about words to no profit. Look at what it says here, and this is what we want to get to. To the subverting of the hearers. We're going to hear a little bit more about that word, to subvert. Subverting of the hearers. And that's why the Apostle Paul and he's our apostle. There's no other apostle that we, as the church, the heavenly bride, the body of Christ, don't have another apostle. Our apostle in learning who we are in Christ is the apostle Paul. Of course, it was the teachings that Christ gave him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, even those that are young pastors, study to show yourself approved unto God. Study to show yourself. In other words, let the Word of God have a light in your life to show you where you should go, when you should go, how you should go, who you should fellowship with, and who you shouldn't. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. The Greek says, cutting straight, straight the Word of God not swerving and, and being subverted, but cutting straight through, straight through. Keep in mind, too, persecution also will come, not just from the unsaved under the atmosphere, but a believer that's backslidden. You'll get persecution also. And, uh, but thank God, we are more than conquerors in him. So then we can see here, and then we want to see this verse here, is brought out here in the Word of God. And boy, we're going to get into another word at, at a different time, possibly uh, Tuesday. But what we see here in, in Titus, the first chapter, 
what we see here is verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word. Holding fast, not swerving, not giving it up. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. That's quite a word. We won't go into it this morning. We'll do this on Tuesday. Again, if you, if you miss Tuesdays and Fridays because of certain responsibilities, always know you don't have to miss it. It'll be up on the website. And the word that God gives through the week here, he's giving to all of us, and it's counsel to all of us here in a local assembly. Even when we can't be there, we can still go to the website and spend the time to receive the word, whereas other things just might get in the way. And that, of course, would not be of God. Verse 10 of, Second Timothy, uh, of Titus 1. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, the legalistic crowd. Look at verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped. Now, would God still seek to stop the mouths of those that are unruly and are gainsayers? Would that be God's will? It would be through right teaching to stop that, especially, especially, unfortunately, for carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. A carnal Christian, and any of us can do that. Any of us, and all of us have been there at some point. It means we just go back to being a baby again. This baby, don't care about anything, don't care about anybody. You're just going to do my own thing, and that's it. That's a spiritual baby. <laughs> Whose mouths, in Titus 1.11, must be stopped. Listen to what it says. Listen to this. Who subvert, see there's that word again. Who subvert whole houses. Now keep in mind, I want to keep in mind that we know, based upon the Scriptures, in Romans 16 and verse 5, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, and in, and in Philemon, verse 2. At, these, at this point, when he's teaching these things, the church, who are people, the church is not a building, the church would gather in houses. The local assemblies in an area would gather in houses. Whose mouths, Titus 1.11, must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Can I, as a believer, living in carnality, teach? Am I teaching? Do we think for a second that we're not functioning in teaching or we don't get proper teaching, that the enemy's not going to be teaching us things, giving us rights and opinions? to live in the self-life, we can be assured, assured of it. Teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Boy, in Christian Christianity today, those that would teach, those that would teach and to do it for money, to become <laughs> millionaires, 
unfortunate. Now, this is what, and we'll finish here. In verse 12 of Titus 1, one of them, of them themselves, of who that are like that, even a prophet of their own, these subverters, these gainsayers, said that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This is unbelievable what it's saying. Even one of them, their own, has said about some of their own that this is what they're like. This is exactly what they're like. They are always liars. Listen, when we don't function in the truth through right teaching and right counsel, and when we don't have the truth that Christ is in John 14, 6, what do we function under? We function under the, a lie. That's how we function prior to meeting Christ as our salvation. We functioned under the liar. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, bring it out clearly. And when I function in the flesh, where did the flesh come from? From the enemy, where do I function in? I function in a lie. Always liars. And what's the lie based upon? Evil. Evil beasts. We live, they live like animals. They have a soul, they're self-conscious, and a body, body conscience. And their soul gives place to every lustful desire that the body tells it needs, tells it that it needs. You live just like the beasts, the creatures. You don't live in the spirit. You don't have a relationship, spiritual, because we were made in the image of God. We know that in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we were created in the image of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's why the prayer that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, he said, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. God are three separate, distinct individuals, but one in essence. We have three separate, distinct parts, but we're one in essence. But what makes us different than any other of God's creations is we have a spirit, which is the God-conscious capacity to have an exchange of intimacy in a relationship through Christ. That we don't have to live just like what? What does it say? Evil beast and a slow belly. What's a slow belly? Well, a slow belly here is brought out. And these, why these things are, it's very, these things are very, very incredible, I have to say. They're very, very, very incredible. And we need to have specifics as Christians, we do. We need to have these specifics. What is a slow belly? What's a slow belly? Can a Christian have a slow belly? Yes. Here is Philippians, here is Philippians, the third chapter, and I'll read this verse. Verse 17 of Philippians 3 says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Notice what he said. Be followers of me. What's he saying? As long as I follow Christ, in 1 Corinthians 4, in verses 15 and 16, and in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, as long as I'm following Christ, follow me. That's what he said. Brethren, be followers together. In other words, you're not, you're not following me. We're all following Christ together. That's what he's saying here. And mark them, notice this, and mark them which walk so as to have us, what? And mark them so as you have us for an example. In other words, 
This is your example. This is how you should walk. And we should know how we should walk. And when we know how we should walk, then we will know who should we, who we should walk with. Very serious. It's not a light thing. Verse 18 of Philippians 3. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and, e and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Can a believer function in the flesh, loved by Christ, but can they function, can they function in the flesh and be an enemy of the cross of Christ? Can they? At, at any time we can. Now, is God, is God, would God ever treat us as an enemy? No. Would we ever treat him that way? Yes, in the flesh. Romans, if you don't believe me, read Romans 8, 5 through 7. The flesh is enmity. The flesh that's in the Christian in Romans 8, 9, that we're not of, that we're not of, okay, is enmity, strong, settled feelings and thoughts of hatred towards God. The cross of Christ. Look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction. We can't be eternally destroyed, but can our fellowship and our intimacy as a believer be destroyed? Whose God is there? Look at what it says. Their belly. Notice that? Their belly. What's a belly? Belly here is a metonym. And, and it comes from a Greek word. It means their very heart, their very soul, their whole inward self. And that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, your belly. The thing you treasure the most. Your belly. It means your thoughts. It has to do with your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices outside of Christ. That becomes this. Whose end, in Philippians 3, 19, is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Who, whose glory is in their shame. Who mind what? Earthly things. Their life is no longer heavenly. Their position is, believers, but their whole thinking is no longer heavenly. It's all about the earth. What they can do, where they're going to live, what they're going to do, and to heck with everybody else. <laughs> Verse 20 says, for our conversation, and our conversation is our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is in heaven. Did, did we know that? Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. Our citizenship is not here. You're trying to make friends with the world or you're trying to win them. You're trying to win people to Christ or you're trying to win them to yourself to make your life more comfortable on the earth. Who mind earthly for our citizenship is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh boy, how about this one? Some of us that are suffering certain pains, some way more than others, who will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Ah, Revelations 21, verse 4. He's going to wipe away the tears in 717 of Revelations, and there'll be no more pain. Ah, what's that going to be like? Whoa. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, we get back to that word, subverted. When I refuse to fellowship, when I refuse 
and stop receiving teaching, when I do, I become a subverter. That's what I become. When I refuse it, the truth, and when I make excuse after excuse why I can't do what I know that I should do, the enemy first and foremost has subverted me. Now here's the word subvert. It's where we get our English word catastrophe. Oh, what a catastrophe. Like, I, I, I remember watching this one time. These people, they're, va- they're vacationing in this gorgeous place, palm trees and everything. They were in the ocean and by the pool. And they did not know what was coming. It was a tsunami. And the tsunami is a fierce wind, but it's pushing water. These people are swimming and enjoying everything. And then all of a sudden, in this thing, this, these tidal waves just come in and just washed everything away. And, and by the time it was done, it was an absolute catastrophe. That's what it was. That's what the Greek word is. K-A-T-A-T-R-O, a P-H-E. Catastrophe is where we get our English word. Catastrophe. What does that word mean? What does it mean specifically? And this is what it means here. And I'll read it to you. It is from another Greek word, which is strepho. S-T-R-E-P-H-O, strepho. And and it's a strengthened form from another Greek word, which is trophe. T-R-O-P-E. And literally it means to turn. It's a turning It's a revolution. It's a variation. Now, when we said that that word catastrophe, subverting, it literally means this. It literally means to turn upside down. What does that mean for a Christian? For a Christian, I was receiving the truth about my position experientially. My view was up. Heavenly. But when I become subverted by the enemy, then my view becomes down. (laughs) Everything is down. Do you know how God sees us? Remember how the prayer was in 1 Thessalonians 5.23? I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body. First and foremost is spirit. Spirit means our view is constantly vertical. And it's first. Then it's the soul, then it's the body. But when I get subverted spiritually through not having spiritual truth or functioning in what I know to be true in my experience through obedience and through an exchange of a love that God first gave to me to fellowship with and intimacy, then my view subverted is down. Now it's my soul. Everything's about me. My whole plans, everything about me is me. And what I can do on the earth based upon those lusts of the body. Based completely upon those. The world in many instances functions in ignorance of it. But the Christian who's well taught doesn't. They do and they continue in what they know to be wrong but they continue to do it. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 15, 22, if I had not come, they would have had excuse for sin, but now they don't have an excuse or a cloak. Christians, how they cover things. 
to, just to excuse why they don't do what they know they should do. It's, it's a mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. It's a total mystery that why would they continue to do that? I mean, it's just, it's just to me, it's, it's just unbelievable. And there's no cloak for it. So when Jesus said, I, when I came, I did, I did away with all excuses. Believers have had the truth. And the truth does away with all the excuses and lies and foolishness and gives us a proper view and understanding. But when I don't want, when I don't want that, I put a cloak. It's almost like I put it right over my eyes. I don't want to see the truth anymore. I don't want it anymore. Because you can't think two things. You cannot live two ways. And that's what Jesus was saying. If your eye be single, in Matthew 6, verse 22, your, if your eye be single, your, eye will, your whole body will be full of light. Notice that? Your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the darkness in you, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? The light that they think that is, that's not his, is the one that they use to cover and excuse sin, even though Jesus has come, even through the truth and teaching of the word. So what they do, and that's what they do, they're, they're subverted in their own life. Listen, if I'm subverted, if everything about in my life is upside down, if it, what's my approach going to be to anybody else? It's a worldly view. Now, I can say that I love in 1 John 3.18. I can say that I love certain believers. I can say I love them. But the Bible says, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, your love will be proven by what you actually do, not what you say. It's not what you say that teaches and shows where you're at spiritually. It's what you do. That your conduct will be the true example, how you're living your life. And not that we should ever condemn or, or accuse another believer who's not living right. We have no right to do so. We do have a right to pray for them. We do have a right not to fellowship with them at all. And we do have a right, if God leads us, and I, I think he would in a lot of cases, to just say to them, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what, why are you doing this? Gosh, I mean, I don't understand. Can you, is there a reason why? What's the reason? And you could be the one that God would use. You could be. They subvert whole households. They do. They subvert. You know what it means? To overthrow. To turn upside down the teaching of everything they know. Everything they know. And it's from this word kata. Catastrophe. Kata is a primitive particle, which in our English version is a, like a preposition. It means down. Down. You go down. In place. Can I go down as a Christian in place in my position? No. But how about my experience? Yes. And then in time. Now there's times when the enemy has gotten us to believe a lie through disobedience. But we can get right instantly, can't we? And instantly stop functioning in our proper place, which is up, not down. Now that word kata is used in the different forms. For instance, 
genit- the genitive in the Greek always speaks of a source. We are deriving our source from only one of two sources, either from Christ or from the enemy. That's genitive. Genitive always speaks of source. Then that word, kata, and with this sense, catastrophe, it goes into a dative. The dative in the Greek, when we see portions in the scripture when it's used, it's either the dated, the dative of advantage or disadvantage. The advantage that we get is when we fellowship with Christians that are like-minded. We have an exchange and a fellowship with them. The date of that would be the disadvantage is to think that I, as a Christian who is living in, in, in the advantage of, of the source of grace, to think that I can fellowship and have an exchange with another who's not, does that make any sense? That's the dative. Or it's used in an accusative sense. And the accusative in, in, in the Greek language, the accusative always means extension or going forward. I'm going to be extended and go forward in one or two. <laughs> in who I am in Christ, up or down, back. And when we live down, the only way a Christian can live down when they lose their heavenly view, when they lose it, they lose it in a backslidden sense. They're backslidden. And they can smile at you all they want. They can smile at you and tell you everything's okay. But when you live and when I live or any of us live outside of God's known order, we're living in a subverted experience. So that's kata that makes up catastrophe. And then strufo is the strengthened form of this. Remember, all right? The strengthened form of, of trophy, because it means to, to turn. So initially, the enemy does everything he can to get our view to turn away from Christ, to turn away from the Word, to turn away from the local assembly. Do everything he can to do that and give us every excuse under the sun why we can do it. He's going to turn us away. He's going to turn away. But not only that, this is a strengthened form because, listen, the enemy, for a believer, not only delights in his evil to turn a believer away, but he wants to twist them. And that's what it means, to twist. To twist. Unbelievable. And then to convert them to a lie versus the truth. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Because Peter, he, he, he functioned in a, in a backslidden state. You know that when they were leading Jesus Christ to be crucified. He was warming his hands in the fire of all those. You know, he was warming his hands in the fire and hiding with those that didn't want anything to do with Christ. He was, he was doing this, rubbing his hands while they were taking Christ away. And that's when and, and Christ said to him in Luke 22 and 31, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has, devi- has, has desired you that he may sift you as wheat, that he may put you in a sieve and violently shake everything about your life. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Christ knew that Peter would fail. Christ knows when we, were, when we would fail. That's why he gives us the word. He always will give us the word first, honestly, to take care of past failures and to prevent future ones and present ones. 
He will do that. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not, your dependence on me, my life, who I am in the word, that it will not fail. And when you're strengthened, you will convert the brethren. Now, Peter, you're being converted the wrong way. You're being twisted and turned and confused. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Satan is, Satan is the author of confusion, not God. God is not the author of confusion. Who is the enemy? What's he do? He gets a believer to turn like this, like so many that I know. And we're going to close here very, very soon. We're going to close. There are believers that I know, men of God, many of them pastors, who taught truth. But the enemy got them to turn aside just a little bit. You know, just a little. If he can get me to turn in one way, and that doesn't get right, it's just a series of continual turnings. That's why it says in Isaiah 30, verse 1, they add sin unto sin. That's why it says in Psalm 69, and verse 27, and Romans 6, and verse 19, they add iniquity unto iniquity. They just do. The perversion of their own will to the perversion of their own will in a continual way. And they become, they become the enemies of Christ. Can a believer function as an enemy of Christ in Christ? Can they? Yes, when we any of us function in the flesh. Thank God it's not who we are. It's not how God sees us, but we can function that way. We can certainly function that way. I think it's sad when believers don't go forward. I just do. I think it's very, very sad. I don't think it in any way, in a, in a way to condemn or accuse, but I, I, I in, in a sense that you get in God's presence, you pray for them, and you weep and you pray for them. You do. But I know some of these men, and they get into all these teachings that subvert. We've talked about them. The two big ones, I'm not going to go into detail about them, the two huge ones that are being really circulated right now, and they're not new, by the way. There's nothing new about them. There is universalism. There's annihilationism. There's covenant theology. There's lordship salvation. There's replacement theology. These are all teachings that, that, that the enemy uses and gets even born-again believers and sucks them into these truths, 1 Timothy 4.1, know that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. All these right teachings, they're going to depart because the enemy got them to turn. Now he twists them. And he can use them to twist the scriptures in 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. To not only their own destruction, but the, the, the destruction of all those that listen to them. Listen to them. That's why it's important not to fellowship with Christians that are backslidden. Because they will say things to you and they will go in. And you may even disagree with them, but if you give them place, they enter in. Now you've got to do something about them when you shouldn't have even had to. But you see these things. You see it in this, this lordship salvation. Uh, you, know, you, you have to produce fruit. Covenant theology, mixing Judaism with Christianity and saying they're one. It's huge out there. Very big. Very, very big out there, folks. And nothing that's to be light. Lordship self, replacement theology. All the truths and the things that were given uh, to the Jews, to, to Israel. Now they want to make it the churches. 
And there's a difference between Israel and the church, although some would teach the exact opposite. Covenant theology, all these different things, all these different things are to subvert whole households. And he can do that. And he can do that. He can do that with us as Christians. He can do it with us. And how would he even subvert us? So say we've never heard about what universalism is. Do you think the enemy cares? We do need to know about it because it's huge in Christendom right now. Maybe I've never heard about annihilationism or covenant theology, lordship salvation, or replacement theology. Remember, I've never heard any about those. But can the enemy still subvert me when I don't know those things? Yeah, worry, fear, doubt, all of these things. He's trying to subvert us and get our view earthly. (laughs) What's going on here? And then what's going on here becomes the determining factor of what I think I must do about it. Instead, my view should be heavenly. That is Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom. That's why when he taught his Jewish disciples about the millennial reign, which hasn't happened yet, not till the rapture of the church, enemies, uh, Israel's enemies are defeated and then the kingdom is set up. That's what in, in Revelations 22 and 3 and 3 and 4, but what Christ taught, and that's what he taught his disciples how to pray. That's why that's not the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Some would say, Our Father who art in heaven, they say it's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer for us is John 17. He taught the disciples how to pray, the Jewish disciples. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where's the kingdom from? heavenly. It comes down to the earth, but that hasn't happened. But do we have the King, our Savior, our Lord, ruling and reigning in us with his person and all the truths that he's done and everything he's accomplished? We do. He's not seen right now like it'll be a visible kingdom on the earth. We have the, we have the King, our Lord, our Savior, literally our bridegroom. We have him within And that's why the world doesn't know us and doesn't treat us any different. But boy, is it important for us to know who we are in Christ, to know when, where, and how, and what we should do. Because there's so much bad teaching, false teaching, that subverts believers. And boy, have I seen it from from precious people that I've known for years, and now they have been turned and twisted. Now they have become teachers of things like universalism, annihilationism, Christianity, uh, Christianity, Judaism and Christianity, it's all one thing. The whole Bible is just one thing. <laughs> it's just one thing, and it's not. We, God would have us to be very, very careful. And, and uh, he, he's very, very jealous over us. He wants to keep us for himself. When he can keep me for himself in intimacy, and when he can keep another believer that way, then they have a, a, a Christ life to exchange and fellowship. I mean, in what sense, in what sense should a Christian ever have fellowship with a backslidden Christian? Can you tell me? Even one thing, to, can you tell me that? Should we? Should I in any way or anything, should I? I mean, even in the little things, even in little things, 
Yeah, I know they're not right. You know, I know, but I'm going to do this thing for them anyway. Then all you're doing is supporting them where they're living. Instead of taking a stand, a firm stand on the word, you're not against them, you're not accusing them, but God could be using you as the very light to give them the opportunity to get right. Yeah, you know, I'll do this particular thing for you. Yeah, I know. Haven't heard, seen, I am near you. Haven't heard anything, you know. But yet I'm going to do this thing for you. Really? Hmm. Was the man, the young man, living and having relations with his stepmother? Was he living in sin? And he was born again, by the way. The Bible makes it clear. He was born again, but he was living in sin. What should they have done? If that little man didn't get right, what should they have done? They weren't supposed to fellowship with him. They were still, he couldn't even come to the local assembly until he got right. And then they did the opposite thing again. Then when he finally did get right, they wouldn't forgive him. Oh, God. Should we do that? I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask us all. Should we fellowship, have a thing to do with one who's living in known sin? Should we? The answer is crystal clear in the scriptures. We shouldn't. Because that, that keeps me pure and keeps the local assembly pure. And it keeps the subversion from entering into the local assembly. It just does. It really does. And it protects. And God is protecting that one that's doing it, that's being subverted. He, you know, be, simply, simply because he keeps them in a place where God has to deal with them. And maybe me thinking I need to help them in the place where they are or do this one little thing for them to help them, I get in the way of what God wants to do. And I become part of the subversion. I can do it ignorantly or I can do it rebelliously. But God forbid that we should do that. But this, And that's just not specific things that I'm talking about in our local assembly. I'm talking about worldwide with these things that are going on, with these different things. And you may not know the terms of them, but then it's up to me as a pastor teacher to bring them out clearly to you so that when they teach that thing, maybe you won't know the name universalism, but you can with right teaching, and then you're able to acknowledge it and stay away from it. Because it is out there. It may not be reaching your little circles, but I am telling you, it, it is hugely out there. And that would even give us the knowledge about those things to pray for others. Otherwise, we wouldn't even know, right? Like people that are being affected by this bad teaching. And some of it, you know, not too far from our area. Whole groups of people that we love. They go to a place where Lordship Salvation is absolutely put out in front. And it subverts people's lives. And it allows the enemy, those that are Christ, that, that he loves. Do you know that, that enemy? He loves to hurt Christ by hurting those that are his. I mean, what? listen, what would be more painful if the enemy could hurt the parents or one of the children? I mean, come on. That's having the right heart towards those that are living subverted. It's loving them, but hating what the enemy's doing and praying for them, but yet not to fellowship with, but to love them and pray for them and keep ourselves protected and ourselves from being twisted. Amen? Amen.